In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents. If you feel depressed and if you feel anxious and you feel confused, you know what? Welcome to the club. Gazpacho, police. Oh, my God. What a stupid son of a bitch. He believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. The Betches Sup Podcast. Sayonara, sucker. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. And this is the Betches Sup Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. We have a guest joining us shortly to co-host, but uh, first we'll just do a little little casual little casual check. Check yeah. in. It's the first Monday of spring. Does it feel like it? Um, it? It does, actually. The time change. It does have spring vibes. The weather is aligned, you know, with mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. and the time change. And, you know, usually the, uh, the cue to start doing the morning announcements is when it, the sun starts mm. setting. <laughs> so now I'm like, Yesterday, I was like, okay, I should be starting now, but it's still light out. So, you know, I got to readjust my whole, you know, morning announcement schedule for that. Yeah. I never usually relate to this this hard, but this year I am just absolutely that bitch where my entire personality has changed. Like, oh, my life is completely different. I feel like I have just recovered from a serious episode. <laughs> that was winter. Well, I wonder if just sort of like as we get a little bit older, we get more affected by the seasons. Like um, my grandmother used to tell me that she – like whenever something weird would happen around like the season, like a, a, a someone gets sick or like whatever, yeah. she'd be like, it's the change of seasons. And then I like I, – I would be like, that's ridiculous like when I was younger. But now I think about it and I'm like actually like – a seasonal change probably does affect someone's like rhythms and therefore their health, like especially for like an older person, not like a kid. Um, but yeah, that was an interesting point. I do want to point out that it is also yesterday was the start of Aries season. I am a double Aries. So Oh, Sammy. Um, okay. Wow. What is gonna happen We're to in me? For a I, month. <laughs> what's gonna happen to well, me? Well, we have we have a really exciting month ahead, right? There's lots of exciting things happening. Oh, we do. Um, I've been peddling the secret project all around Los Angeles. <laughs> Can I you have, tell you about really? that? Okay, oh, okay. I have to tell I you did. about that. I am. I, oh my god! I have a story about the secret project too. I thought I was like it was more secret than it was, and I'll tell you after. <laughs> oh, okay, great. But um, it's but it's really exciting. Committed to the lockdown of the secret, but I am so excited. I'm really excited. Yeah, me too. I'm now. It feels real to me now that yeah. um, you know. A few people we know have tried the secret project. So incredible. That's crazy. Okay, that's so exciting. So we're gonna wait for our guest. Our guest is a legal professional and expert. So she's gonna chime in and we're gonna talk about some of the abortion bans going on. We're gonna hit some Kim and Kanye stuff because that is kind of like part of our greater sub universe as she is one of my favorite always... TikTokers. Right. I, th- I thought you meant Kim. <laughs> oh no, I mean, no, absolutely not. <laughs> yes, yes. We'll welcome her shortly, but um, We're going to start with uh, two other high-profile lawyers. We have some news today about Justice Clarence Thomas and Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson. Last night, news broke that Justice Clarence Thomas, who's been on the bench since 1991, is in the hospital. He is currently 73 years old. I did not know he was that young. I thought he was older Mm -hmm. than that. According to the court, he was hospitalized for flu-like symptoms and has an infection for which he's receiving intravenous antibiotics. I read this morning, it sounds like he is improving in that his prognosis is good and that he might uh, participate in some in some virtual hearings. Yes, I have heard the same. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, OK, I'm just going to I'm just going to bring this up because obviously it's uh, on everyone's mind and I'm not like the first person to uh, no. suggest that people think this. OK, when, you know, I had people sending me the headlines being like, ooh, whatever. And, mm-hmm. you know. I feel that whenever the health of a Supreme Court justice is in question in any way, there starts to be this like quality of salivation almost like Mm -hmm. a like a, you know, you start you 
on both sides. I'm not saying this is like just, you know, liberals with Clarence Thomas. I'm saying yeah. anytime RBG would get sick, people would be like, ooh, like get ready for like the next, maybe we'll get another well, justice. I mean, yeah, I mean, and people I, do it with like the Pope and the Queen too. To- totally. But well, I think it's different with that because like the Queen, you know who the next person is, whereas this mm. is like a, the Supreme Court is like a scorekeeping thing, you know, in a way. It's like, oh, now we'll have a 5 four, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I does no one think that it's a problem that like half the country regularly roots for the failing health of <laughs> like the 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 strong the, the highest legal minds in the nation like supposedly know. you know is that does that not strike you is that as a healthy political a flaw system in the system you know just I love that characterization because you know there was a little bit of tension around this in my household last night when we saw the headline, just, you know, if certain reactions were appropriate. And you know what? You're right. I shouldn't necessarily have to wonder, oh my God, am I an absolute monster for thinking that our our system might be healthier and I might be optimistic if this man passes away? That's not my fault. That is the political system's fault. Thank right. you, Sammy. <laughs> right. It's not like those reactions are are not healthy, but the fact that, that they are an option mm-hmm. is the problem, not that like you know, because it's it's not just it's any. T- this is yeah. I've never seen anything other than any reaction other than this to a health headline of a Supreme Court justice, no matter which party they're from. And I think on both, you know, both parties ha- are are uh, guilty of kind of absolutely. You know, a little bit of a I don't know a, a, a bit of a giddiness at someone's ill health, and it's just mm-hmm. not great. You know, it's not great. It feels terrible. It feels wrong. But again, maybe you, they shouldn't need to die yes. for <laughs> precisely. Maybe we could just, you know, how we could just not root for death is like maybe just some fucking term limits. Let's let's throw some of those in. Yeah, there. no one's going to be excited. I don't want Clarence Thomas to see tweets about wishing death upon him. I that's terrible for his family. Right. Even no matter how much you hate him and think he's terrible and he shouldn't be a Supreme Court justice, like I don't believe in wishing death upon somebody it's just i feel like the last frontier you know Mm -hmm. i mean i wish you were not on the court but i i wish that it uh right didn't happen this way no one's gonna root for stephen breyer to die now no one cares anymore Mm -hmm. that's an excellent way that's an excellent point if you would like to prevent people rooting for your untimely death or timely death i mean rbg held in as long as she could then just retire then just retire it's just a lot of like bad juju directed at you Mm mm-hmm and that you are directing, and I don't think mm-hmm. that's good for the vibes of, of the earth, the bi- you know? <laughs> totally. Totally. Yes. So, um, you know, we hope Clarice Thomas, Thomas, we wish him well, and we hope that our judicial system can have some other reforms so that we are not regularly feeling guilty about, uh, you know, wondering how things might be if, if people with families die. Yeah. I wish him a retirement unrelated exactly. to his health. I wish him a retirement unrelated to his health. He's 73. Let it go. You know what? Ginny could use some help. She is busy. <laughs> Bad week in their household. Yeah. Why don't you invest some time into her political career? It's on the up and up. <laughs> okay. Well. <laughs> so another high-profile lawyer we want to talk about today is Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson. Today is March 21st, and that's when confirmation hearings begin for her. These hearings, you know, they don't just serve the purpose of getting more information about the nominee out They are a time when, you know, typically more people are paying attention, although I don't know if that's the case this time. The stakes are high, but it's not going to shift the balance of of the court. A liberal has retired. A liberal will most likely replace him. But it still gives senators like a couple minutes to kind of do whatever they want, liberals and conservatives. I mean, we look back at Amy Coney Barrett's hearing and the threats to, you know, health care didn't end up necessarily materializing, but the Democrats used all of their time talking about it. And we're going to see similar things from Republicans today. We can expect Senate Republicans to absolutely pummel Judge Brown Jackson with irrelevant questions. She's extremely qualified. So in the absence of any real concerns about her background, we might hear them suggest she is soft on crime, although they probably still will go after her background, even though she has way more experience than Amy Coney Barrett did. Just going back to something you were saying a second ago about, you know, the hearings and and the sort of um, space they occupy. This Mm -hmm. is another flaw. I guess that's what we're doing today. This is another Mm -hmm. flaw because 
in the absence of the confirmation hearings having real substance and like actually being an honest examination of this person's background or really just anything other than a completely partisan exercise, Mm -hmm. what I feel that these confirmation hearings have become is essentially like a an audition or like almost a political an opportunity to create political sound bites. I mean, that's not a revolutionary yeah. thought, but I think it's sort of like, oh, if you get on the Judiciary Committee and there's an, a controversial hearing, then you get to, you know, maybe you'll get I mean, the Kamala Harris. Questioning. Kamala Harris, I mean, you could argue that sort of like right. made her political career or really took it to the next level in terms of like her ascent to where she is now. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like nothing mattered about Brett Kavanaugh. Like it didn't ultimately change whether Brett Kavanaugh got confirmed, but it did change her political trajectory. So that's something mm-hmm. I find a little bit both interesting and um, wrong about the confirmation hearings. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, as I was sort of like looking forward to this confirmation hearing, I'll admit like I am I am looking forward to learning more about Judge Brown Jackson. But the reason I got excited about it was because it, it's sort of like a, it's like it's like a sports event for us. It's the most um, the most sound bites we're going to get for a while. Wait, you know what's funny? Literally, my friend just texted me. Oh, the Supreme Court hearing starts today. Wonder what ridiculous sound bites are going to come from that. Like exactly. that should, yeah. and I mean that was spontaneous. Like as we're having this, literally just happened as we're sitting That's here, so pops up on my screen. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's Newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com. Newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. Okay, and now we are back with our guest co-host. It is Reb Maisel. She is a practicing attorney and a content creator on TikTok. Happy Monday, Reb. How you doing? Happy Monday. I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Good. Good, good, good. So I want to start by familiarizing our our podcast audience with what you do on TikTok in case they don't know. Tell us how you first uh, started talking about lawyer life on the platform and what else you kind of use it for. Right. So I graduated from law school in 2020, which uh, was not an ideal time to be Mm -hmm. graduating and then studying for the bar. Um, And I was living with my parents back home because of quarantine and everything, studying for the California bar, nine hours a day, six days a week, absolutely miserable. And my younger sister is six years younger than me. So she's Gen Z. She keeps me young. And she bullied me into downloading TikTok. And so I just, during that time, I used it as my only creative outlet to be anywhere but in my own life and studying towards. So um, it just evolved from there. I took the bar. And once I found out that I passed and then was um, sworn in to the California bar, I posted a video about it. It blew up a little bit. And I realized that all of the comments I was receiving were a lot of positive responses, but then a whole lot of negative feedback and doubt about my abilities as an attorney because of my age or how I look or, you know, any other thing they can point to me being a woman. So I thought, you know what? Um, it's, it's about time that, that younger girls and younger women deserve to see someone that looks like them or is their age or has their sense of humor 
on this platform and also an attorney. So that's how it started. I love your I love your TikTok. I could I could watch them for so long. Well, you have this segment where you just read court transcripts for like several minutes, and I don't really know what is it about them. They always hit. They always go viral, and they're not. I think what you do, our audience will just have to go look at them. But they manage to be very funny, but they're not mean spirited. Like you find interesting things happening to people that are probably going through something troubling in their lives, but they're kind of, you find situations where they're kind of taking agency over it in a, in a hilarious way. Right. I, I think that lawyers can attest to the fact that court is nuts. It's nuts. <laughs> and and it's it's nuts beyond what we see on Law & Order, like, you know, court TV. Yeah. Honestly, half the time, all of that is based on very true stories. And unfortunately, but fortunately, attorney-client privilege, confidentiality, prevents attorneys from really talking about their most insane cases, mm-hmm. their most insane moments in court. But, you know, public court transcripts, uh, those types of things that are, are accessible and can be released, people don't appreciate enough, um, especially <laughs> yeah. in the age of Zoom court, which, you know, as you can imagine, <laughs> Zoom court with with people, you know, Zooming yeah. into hearings with all sorts of names and outfits and locations. <laughs> Um, it, it, it gets interesting. And I think that, you know, having a sense of humor about Mm -hmm. this field and in the courtroom can take you so far in, in your career. I, you know, I understand that I'm young and I don't have the experience that many older attorneys do, but I've had so many older attorneys, men, women, all ages reach out and say, thank you. I'm so happy awesome. you are shedding light on this. Also, I have some great submissions. <laughs> and I say, give them to me. Fantastic. Yeah. You're like a TikTok L Woods. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure people have said that to you. Yeah. The the Dollar Tree L Woods. Fantastic. Oh, I love that. <laughs> well, we talk a lot. We, we, we've had a few conversations on this podcast, especially recently about sort of like how people love to point out, like most recently with like the war in Ukraine, people are like, oh, look at all these pink carousels, like yesifying the war in Ukraine. People tend to get very offended when especially women use their own kind of like the way that they might otherwise talk about things to talk about serious issues when actually that shows you actually have like a command of it. So it's sort of taking away a lot of like the gatekeeping that sort of like no longer is serves anybody. Exactly. And, and with so much of what's on TikTok and so much content on the app. Yeah. It, it's it's women who understand the issue enough to make it satire and to exactly. put it into this high honestly, I believe that, you know, the Valley Girl voice, the the satirical takes that we have on current events, on on legal issues can be so helpful to make them accessible to people who might not want to read a 23-page Reuters article about mm-hmm. XYZ, this conflict or another. And it the fact that, you know, I've seen as well, women are so often ridiculed or, you know, given hate for what people see as dumbing something down. I don't see it as dumbing something down. I see it as bringing it into a level that other people simply can't. You are not educated yeah. or more intelligent simply because you're using a thesaurus and giving me bigger words. You exactly. are more brilliant by your ability to explain a very complicated, for example, legal issue to an eight-year-old and have them understand it rather than being able to just, you know, bump elbows with the big dogs and just mm-hmm. talk in this inaccessible language. I, I love that TikTok is bringing us into this new age of accessibility, truly. So you understand why we set out to do this podcast and literally everything. <laughs> like that is all what it was about. I, mean, I was going to say, yeah. the, only, the reason I know you're so smart is because yeah. I know from Real Housewives of Orange County that the California bar is very hard to pass. Obviously. Oh, yeah. Yes. 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 I mean, that's the only way that's the only way to gauge it, really. Whatever the housewives <laughs> tell me about my career is is Bible. That's what I'm going to believe. So 100%. <laughs> I think that what you just said about like the ability to explain something simply shows that you actually understand it rather than like the ability to only speak to other experts where you're all just like a circle jerk of jargon and like and it's it also becomes meaningless to the average person who you are supposed to be serving as a lawyer but yeah, yeah. Exactly. that's all other yeah I know we could talk about we could talk about that all day 
I know. I think the court transcripts do demonstrate how little people know about the legal field and the legal system. And I'd love to be a catalyst for at least a few more people understanding some concepts that they should definitely mm-hmm. know. Like, hey, maybe um, maybe uh, it is what it is. Isn't necessarily <laughs> a proper plea in court. You should say guilty or not guilty, not just whatever, your honor. Just a tip. Exactly. Not legal advice, just a tip. Yeah. yeah. Well, as we were talking about sort of like people, usually they are men trying to gatekeep and make things seem more complicated than they are. Wanted to a touch base with you a little bit about uh, today's, the beginning of the Senate confirmation hearings for Katanji Brown-Jackson. So we were chatting before you got on about how a lot of times the politicians use this mainly just to grandstand. And because Katanji Brown-Jackson is so qualified, we might not see any really effective, like, I'm, they're going to try. We'll see how they land. Um, they're definitely going to try to undermine her. But we've heard that specifically Josh Hawley is going to play into, you know, his party has this like obsession with connecting Democrats to child sex trafficking. So I think he's going to try to like evoke this by pointing to some of Judge Brown Jackson's sentences on child sex abuse images. Okay, Reb, my impression is that that sounds terrible. Like you hear like you're going to people are going to hear him say that and be like, oh, my oh, my gosh, like that's crazy. How could anybody ever do any leniency in that regard. But I, my impression reading about this this morning that I'd love to get your insight on is that sentences for these depend on the quantity of images, which can obviously compound into very long sentences, especially when you're talking about internet downloads. And that any approach that Brown Jackson took is probably consistent with those that would be recommended. What should be, what should we be thinking about here if we see those attacks? Well, these attacks by uh, just Holly, are are obviously based on fallacies and an improper uh, reading of her her cases and and her opinions and past history because it does not provide the context necessary to understand sentencing guidelines, especially federal sentencing guidelines for child pornography. And obviously, Mm -hmm. this is not to say that child pornography is any less abhorrent of a crime, but as anyone can understand in the entire federal sentencing guideline system, there are going to be degrees of uh, seriousness and it varying levels of sentencing for individuals based upon how they were charged with these child okay. pornography crimes. And in 2003, Congress passed the PROTECT Act, which was an act that essentially made the underlying conduct triggering sentencing enhancements for child pornography Mm -hmm. to increasingly apply to more individuals. And obviously, since 2003, technology has advanced so much that now enhancements are essentially applying to a lot of non-serious offenders when initially in 2003, they were only intended to apply to the most serious. For example, what we should be thinking about is the difference between possession of child pornography which under federal sentencing guidelines requires no mandatory minimum sentence versus the receipt or distribution, which requires a five-year mandatory minimum. And this does not mean that Judge Jackson has somehow, you know, given lenient sentences to child pornography, you know, to people who engage Mm -hmm. in the receipt or distribution of child pornography. She has simply been a part of the U.S. Sentencing Commission's commentary in 2012 on the fact that so many non-production child pornography offenders are being sentenced under a scheme that's outdated simply because, for example, one of the underlying triggers for an in, a, a significantly enhanced sentence is the use of a computer mm-hmm. to write, receive, or distribute child porn. That today is pretty much everybody. Obviously, right, it's going right. to be. And Josh Halley's commentary on her opining that child, child, you know, individuals who distribute or receive child pornography are, are lesser are completely taken out of context. She has never yeah. put that into an opinion, nor has she expressed that she believes that. She has stated explicitly in her 2020 or most recent 2020 opinion, rejecting a child sex offenders petition for release, stating that this is a child pornography is an extremely serious crime. And it is not proper for you to be released here because of that. Mm -hmm. So what this means essentially is that Jackson's record actually for sentencing child pornography offenders is very mainstream. In five out of the nine cases that 
Josh Halley is going to point to in which she sentenced, quote unquote, below the federal minimum standards. These were actually average when it came mm-hmm. to all other federal judges who were in this were sentencing in this context. And five out of the nine, the prosecution advocated for a below guideline sentence. So even the prosecution, mm-hmm. prosecution, federal prosecutors have concluded that all of these mitigating factors that shouldn't lessen the seriousness of the crime, but should simply distinguish between production child pornography, which is abhorrent, and not non-production child pornography, which is abhorrent, but in its own way, should be considered in sentencing offenders. So long story long, yeah. Josh Halley's <laughs> out of his mind. And, <laughs> and on yeah. average... I just tried to imagine becoming smaller and smaller and more humiliated as you explained how stupid his point was. I really enjoyed that. It should be like a a graphic of that. (laughs) As she talks, yeah. Yeah. Right. And uh, like, can I I please wear, can I use the Valley Girl court transcript sunglasses on with the accent and say you're out of your goddamn mind? Her, her, just, just for anyone who just blank stared and said, what was that about? Judge Jackson, in sentencing child porn, child sex offenders and those who distribute, receive, produce child pornography, her guideline for sentencing is almost identical to the national average reduction, according to the United States Sentencing Commission report in 2012. Mm-hmm. She is doing. So she did her job. Yeah. She's doing her job. She is yeah. not going above or below what every other federal judge has been doing for a decade now to account for the changes in technology that in our justice system should be accounted for when, you know, Mm -hmm. outdated sentencing guidelines are put in there. And also they're called federal sentencing guidelines because that's what they are. They are guidelines. And in no way, shape or form does this mean that she's soft on crime or soft on child pornography distributors Mm -hmm. or producers. It, it, doesn't really render any conclusion at all, but because it's a triggering word, because right. people will see it and think, wow, she must be, they aren't going to be provided with the context necessary to make an actual informed conclusion. And that yeah, is my that- conclusion, which is she is right where she needs to be. I would love to see you respond to some of these questions, honestly. <laughs> yeah, that was very helpful. Yeah. <laughs> see, I would, yeah. I would end up using profanity. And it would not go well. Yeah, no. Maybe uh, by then it'll be, maybe by the time, like, you really could be answering the questions, people will be fine with the profanity by then. There's like, no go, way they can't be. There is simply no way they can't be at this point. Um, I, one of my best friends um, uh, in law school was brilliant. Uh, she is an attorney, practicing attorney now. She, I genuinely believe I could see her on the bench and see her being a judge. And she looks hot in a crop top in Vegas, just like the rest yeah. of us. And honestly, you know what I mean? There's and you just know simply what I, you no know what? way. Maybe oh, yeah, Cotty did too, but there weren't, well. <laughs> there weren't pictures of it everywhere. So yeah, that's a really interesting right. you know, thing to look forward to as well as we have people like in the next decades that are going to you know, be in confirmation hearings who have had you know, a lifelong internet presence. Absolutely. Um, I, I can only be happy about knowing that I, you know, Snapchatted or DM'd or, yeah. you know, shotgunned a beer with the future United States Supreme Court justice. I would love that. <laughs> love that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so Brett I also, Kavanaugh did it too. It's not like they were doing it. It's just, they didn't write it in their calendar. Thank God for Brett that he did not have an Instagram. I mean, the, the, he, yeah. he journaled all of his he transgressions. He just wrote oh, it down. You yeah. better believe he had a calendar. He had a goddamn <laughs> task by task outline of what he was doing every day. But today's day and age, right, where social media is too much. It's just too much. No. No. So, Reb, you have to explain to us what is going on with SB8. I feel like I've been able to follow what's going on with it pretty closely up until last week. I am confused and I am scared. Most recently, the Texas Supreme Court said state licensing officials can't be sued. The Supreme Court had left like a narrow window to pursue that. Lots of headlines last week referred to this as like a failure of the last attempt, like the, the door is now closed to block the Texas law. That cannot be true, right? Like, is, please tell me that's not true. Is there ongoing state litigation here? Is there anything? Is there anything that's facing the Supreme Court about abortion that could block this? I mean, what is the next six months of this look like for abortion in Texas? 
It's not the end of the road with challenging this law. It's simply um, closing closing an avenue that that would have been helpful in in okay. getting it struck down faster. And I can explain just by giving context to those who aren't aware really of of SB eight. Um, yeah. SB eight is a Texas law that essentially uh, provides private citizens the avenue to sue abortion providers and other individuals for, um, you know, essentially getting getting an abortion prior to a certain point. It's the six week mark, I believe. And here, the law, by its own language, by its very artful language, only provides private citizens the ability to enforce this ban against providers, against medical professionals, and the what the Texas Supreme Court essentially just struck mm-hmm. down is the medical providers' attempt to sue Texas licensing agencies, right, state agencies, for their enforcement indirectly or directly of this law. And essentially, what the Texas Supreme Court ruled is that it doesn't authorize the any state licensing agency yeah. to to enforce this directly or indirectly which is kind of a positive if you think about it right they're basically saying oh no only private citizens can yeah. can really enforce this so you don't have standing to sue these you know licensing agencies these people but the problem with it is that that means that in order to have standing to sue under this law and actually challenge it is to wait for a private citizen to actually initiate yeah. and file lawsuits against providers under SB8 uh, in order to get it heard before first a state court. And then, you know, if it went up the ranks, it could Got it. potentially a final state court judgment, judgment on it in that context could then att- potentially be appealed in federal court. But again, it's making the process yeah. for it more complicated and also it's essentially requiring that you wait around for um you know I- individuals to be uh sued or for um state officials to indirectly or directly attempt to enforce SB8 which would then provide them grounds to sue under it but actually attacking the constitutionality of the law um it's not over there are 12 Pending yeah. um, cases right now, I believe in Texas, uh, twelve at, or fourteen. Apologies, consolidated lawsuits challenging SB eight, okay. and most recently, uh, a state judge in Travis County, Texas, ruled that the law's enforcement mechanism was unconstitutional. Um, it didn't in- join enforcement of SB eight, but it again it leaves open the mm-hmm. door for it to be challenged. But this is still a loss. Uh, in mm-hmm. the sense that it it just goes to show that the artful language that these legislators used in order to limit the procedures in which you could enforce and challenge it um, mm-hmm. is currently working, which is unfortunate yeah. um, because, you know, evading constitutional st- scrutiny is not what we want or need in our legal system. It's not. But no, the fight's not, not over. Not what you want. <laughs> no, not what you want. The fight's not so over. So then, though. yeah. So then, these are. So then, I assume that's just sort of like you know, if you've ever sued anyone before, like that's a process that takes time. So those are just sort of moving through Texas like normal old cases where people sue each other, and there's no real, there's no hustle. Like that'll just have to play out. Well. Yeah, those those would would have to play out. Um, but you know, the, the positive is that when lawsuits that are actually authorized by SB eight um, actually are initiated and and are and are followed through, then the constitutionally the okay. constitutionality of the law can be challenged in that Got context. It. It's just um, you know more difficult to get it to federal court or more difficult to have standing to challenge the law when there are not a lot of people who are actively enforcing it, if that makes sense. Because the only people who can enforce it yeah, are definitely. the private individuals suing. Um, so it's just, you know, one big wheel and circle of of a bunch. It's like the meme with a bunch of people pointing guns at each other, the Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. They're pointing guns at each other, just waiting for the next person to go. That's what yeah. this feels like now. Has this happened yet? Like where someone, a random person sued a provider or a person for getting... Well, that's the 14 cases. And in, in, I, I know of um, a, 
San Antonio gynecologist named Alan Braid, Braid. his abortion clinics um, joined the other plaintiffs in Whole Woman's Health versus Jackson. Um, Basically, he announced that he had deliberately violated the law. Yeah. And in response, three plaintiffs have filed SB lawsuits against him, who now can respond, arguing that the law is unconstitutional. So, uh, you know, hit Dr. Braid in an effort to, you know, get somebody to to sue him uh, under this law to try to open up more avenues to challenge the constitutionality of it that worked um mm-hmm. and, yeah. and obviously the three plaintiffs who filed those lawsuits they're aware that you know the constitutionality is going to be challenged but again it just goes back to state court texas state courts you know what what what's going to happen there we're gonna have to wait for it to go through the system and then potentially be uh, appealed to federal court Can, Got it. i think what you're what we're kind of talking about here is maybe something that is not as widely understood by people who are not court watchers, which is that there are people who actively take cases and do actions so that the constitutionality of certain laws, especially with when it comes to like hot topics like abortion and guns and that sort of thing, there are people who actively are like working towards either getting this law to be ruled constitutional or not. So it's, it's not like, a, oh, this guy did, you know, got did an abortion and then he got like reported. It's like there's a yeah, there's like a real structure around all of this. Right. There, there are, you know, the ACLU, obviously uh, a massive um, player in, in these types of suits. Planned Parenthood in and of itself has a has a legal department, um, yeah. which which is tasked with initiating these lawsuits or finding these doctors who mm-hmm. will agree to, you know, be, be the talking head for, um, the, these lawsuits and, and to get them to be initiated. And then on, you know, on the other side, they have the same kinds of things, you know, crisis pregnancy centers. Um, they have legal departments mm-hmm. that will, you know, pro-life organizations that will work to find, uh, individual plaintiffs to privately sue. Um, it's essentially like, uh, it's a class action without being a class action, right? It's very planned. Mm-hmm. It's very organized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's one person that we see at the top of it, but there are a whole lot of people who are doing everything they can in their power to fight for their side. And, you know, I, I my legal opinion and my personal opinion in this sense mesh in that the constitutional right to abortion is absolutely hindered and absolutely being uh, blocked by yeah. this law and in any way, shape or form, it is unconstitutional in the sense that it is providing a means to prevent women from exercising their constitutional right. Yeah, so 100%. hopefully this side, the constitutional side, the the legal side, the fair side, the human side will prevail. Um, and I... Honestly, I have faith in the people on our side and the people on our fight and the and the legal scholars who and the legal, you know, practicing attorneys who are seasoned in this field and on the boots on the ground in Texas working to do what they can to make sure SB8 is is you know, challenged mm-hmm. again. Probably. Yeah, that's I mean, that's reassuring is that like, no matter what headlines you see, like you said, there are groups that are like coordinating and they're ready for the next step. Shifting gears a little bit, another pretty public insight into a legal process we've seen lately is the divorce of Kim Kardashian and Kanye West. You've poured over so many court documents, and I'm curious, and I believe you've handled some like harassment cases yourself. What parallels are you seeing between what what Kim and Kanye are going through publicly, his public harassment of her music videos where he's like harming uh, her boyfriend. What parallels do you, you see between this and common circumstances facing women who leave abusive or unstable men? Do you think what Kanye is doing could play a role in their ultimate divorce proceedings? Absolutely. Uh, as someone who's worked on in, in both civil harassment cases and then some you know family law matters in which you know custody mm-hmm. battles were ongoing and then and then mm-hmm. efforts were, were taken by one or, or both parents to engage in conduct, you know, it, it, it seems almost like just out of spite, you know, um, a lot of spiteful things happen the most in family law and in property disputes. So like neighborly disputes, right? People are like, don't yes. touch my yard. People get spiteful and people mm-hmm. get hateful. And 
the parallels here are that oftentimes, unfortunately, escalation is almost like a prerequisite for people to take harassment seriously. And especially in the public right realm and under the spotlight that Kim Kardashian is, it's very, very easy for all of us to look at this as a show, right? This is our Mm -hmm. entertainment. This is a caricature of uh, uh, something that happens all the time. It's like watching an episode of Maury, right? You think, well, these people yeah. aren't actual real people with real problems. This is what, you know, these are a bunch of actors. It's reality TV. It is not. This is, uh, you know, based upon what I've seen, a pattern and a course of conduct that can amount to civil harassment under California's civil statute. Mm-hmm. This is not criminal against civil. So, uh, under, California Code Section 526.7, if anyone cares. You don't. It's a good thing. Wow. <laughs> um, this this amounts to, right, um, a course of conduct directed at a specific person that seriously alarms, annoys, or harasses the person, and that serves no legitimate purpose. Definition of harassment. Hmm. This would cause a reasonable person, right, yeah. in any other context, to suffer substantial emotional distress and might actually be causing her emotional distress fear for her safety, fear for her child's safety, him releasing information about her daughter's school, right? Uh, The location of it. All of these things in context can absolutely amount to conduct, which in a divorce proceeding, in a custody battle can be absolutely important for determining what is best for the children in terms of um, custody, in terms of uh, visitation rights, in terms of how you know, either parent's responsibility and ability to take care of their children is is considered because the ability mm-hmm. to take care of your child is is not simply how you treat that child. It's how you are engaging in disrupting their life. And their mm-hmm. overall life includes their mother. And, you know, the individual that they have to be with, uh, you know, mm-hmm. let's say, right, for argument's sake, half of the time. Okay, if there was if there was 50% visitation, if it she can show, which it's very clear at this point that there may be some evidence here that he is disrupting their life to a degree which actually amounts to harassment of the mother and 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 threatens the safety of the children. This is exactly parallel yeah. to every other normal woman who goes through this, or husband who goes through this, or male, anyone, LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. community fighting over custody rights, this is parallel to it. The difference is that it's more high profile. It's on on center stage. And honestly, the seriousness with which everyone is taking it is shockingly about the same, Mm. which is, well, he's just expressing himself. You know, it's not, he's not actually being violent, X, Y, Z, all of that. And we hear this time and time again in the legal field until a woman is actually harmed. Unfortunately. Yeah. And, yeah. And I mean, obviously, Kim Kardashian is a very public figure and she has unsympathetic parts about her that we all know about. But I'm sure there are also plenty of women who show up in court who have who have people perceive them a certain way and are not treated with the seriousness. So like there are probably parallels in that regard, too. Oh, absolutely. Even, you know, even beyond that, there are so many women, as we know, that are manipulated financially, emotionally, mentally, uh, you know, the, the threat of taking the children away is, is hung over their heads to the point where, you know, their spouse or their partner may have harassed them several times prior, may have actually, you know, engaged in some sort of domestic violence or, or verbal abuse or any other type of abuse toward them. And that individual, that partner who's being harmed bails them out of jail or defends mm-hmm. them in court or you know does other things that you know disguise the seriousness of the situation or limit yeah. the sympathy that that you have for that individual which uh. in 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 my experience in my view just because an individual is being manipulated or being emotionally blinded by this person's harassment by by you know by their actions toward them their conduct toward the children the fact that they're the father of their children or or the mother of their child mm-hmm. it does not mean 
that they are somehow not entitled to the relief that the law affords them, to the protection that the law should afford them, just because a woman has bailed out her offender, her abuser, or, you know, has not always gone to the police about Mm -hmm. harassment or verbal abuse or acted on it in every instance does not suddenly mean that that should be considered when looking at the actions of the individual, of the actual person engaging in the harassment, because it's not about a woman's reaction to the harassment. It should always be about the harassment. And unfortunately, in both the legal field, when it comes to regular people who aren't Kim Kardashian, who who don't have that kind of high profile status, those the, the lawyers and the money, it, it, it's unfortunate that even the high profile status and the lawyers and the money and, and the, the main stage doesn't prevent our society from knee jerk reacting to the seriousness yeah. of Kanye's conduct simply by how she's reacting to it or simply by the fact that, oh, well, she has bodyguards, right? Like she'll be fine. It's not about that. It should be about his conduct alone. She also was already robbed. When she already had security, if I, I mean, I imagine what? she would be like, we really never talk about that afraid. anymore. Oh, yeah, my God. yeah, I know. Well, I mean, yeah. I, as you were talking, it's conflicting because it's like I on the one hand, it's really painful for them that there's so much attention. But I almost am like, is she more safe because everybody knows? Like, I don't know what Kanye is capable of, but sometimes sunlight is like the best disinfectant. So I'm like, oh. But as you're going, it's like she has access to so I mean, you can you can parallel every sort of aspect of what she's been going through in the past couple of weeks with Kanye to like a very common, um, a very common issue and how it plays out differently when you don't have means or attention. Well, you know, no one is safe. No, no one is safe from from the consequences of harassment and 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 harassment does not suddenly become serious simply because someone is subjected to physical harm. It, it, as we all know, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. emotional toll, the, the, the physical toll that that emotion can have on you, right? Like you, like people have, have experienced, you know, such extreme anxiety and depression and fear for both themselves and their children, whether or not that those, those threats and that, and, you know, ever, ever come to fruition, it impacts every aspect of your life. And yeah. I think that regardless of how, you know, protected, a celebrity might be like Kim Kardashian physically, she's never going to be protected emotionally from from how it feels to be a parent in this situation. And the, you know, also, we've seen so many instances where the, the amount of bodyguards or the amount of, of uh, money to, to buy all this production or, or, or weapons or all that do not stop abusers no. from, from uh, you know, bringing those threats to fruition. I, I was just watching... Um, on Netflix, the new show, the like worst roommate ever, something like <laughs> that. The, there was a woman on one of the episodes who was, um, you know, uh, uh, was in the army for, for 12 years. She had done two tours in Iraq. She was essentially a badass for, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term, right? Clearly able to defend herself, clearly has, you know, she had, she had, um, which, you know, I don't endorse it, but it's just a fact. She had weapons in the home yeah. to, for self-defense to protect herself. And she had called the police two weeks prior to, to an incident, basically saying, Hey, I'm concerned about this individual to notify the police that if she ever did anything, it was out of self-defense. She basically said, I'm going to hurt this mm-hmm. person because he's going to hurt me. She was murdered by her, the person, the person who was essentially threatening her, harassing her, um, and it just goes to show mm-hmm. that there's no right way to go about reacting to harassment and there's no right status to be. Whether you're yeah. the richest person in the world with the most security or the, you know, or the or the least fortunate person living with, you know, a Cheeto for your lock on <laughs> yeah. your front door <laughs> yeah. with, bar- with bars on your windows that can just yeah. crack open regardless. It, it it's just shocking to me that we as a society are just so trained to assume to assume everything's fine until it's not. We should yeah. just assume that th- that we should prevent this stuff, right? Or, or we should treat it as serious as serious as it is. Yeah, it's hard to imagine how we can shift from it, like being women's responsibility to to not get violently harassed and abused. And uh, could start with like 
the physical harm does not need to be the first point at which yeah, law that, enforcement yeah, that or was someone really steps in. Like, that is, I think, the clearest issue because the first thing someone does to you is not going to be physical. Otherwise, that's just like a random assault. That's not yeah, harassment. Yeah, the, the barriers are like the lines are really erroneous because, I mean, last year we were talking – or last week we were talking about how they reauthorized VAWA, but not with the – but the boyfriend loophole is still there. So it's like, okay, if you if you happen to marry the, the the guy that's abusing you, he can't get a gun. But if you didn't, well, you're sorry. Exactly. Right. And again, why is escalation a prerequisite to to someone being taken seriously? It makes no sense. And truly, the 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 laws around it and behind it are are difficult to reconcile because you can't get restraining orders, civil harassment restraining orders in California for conduct that does not equate to physical harm at all. It, you know, it can be, it could be threats. It could be emotional uh, abuse. Ariana Grande uh, successfully mm-hmm. recently, a couple, I, I'm not sure how many months ago, time is, mm-hmm. is an enigma. To yeah. <laughs> um, she successfully got, you know, a civil harassment restraining order against an individual who had been, you know, coming by her house and mm-hmm. all of these things right. and, and threatening her and all of that. And that was enough to get this restraining order on paper. But Unfortunately, right, in order to enforce this restraining order and to actually get this individual to to be punished for violating it, they have to violate it. You have to wait around for them to right. actually do what they said they were going to do or continue to to bother them in different ways, shape or forms. And and it it it's one of those uh holes in the law that so desperately need to be filled by something that actually makes women and other individuals who uh, get these restraining orders to feel like the law isn't just a piece of paper that isn't going to stop a bullet. It's just not. Yeah. So I I feel like we need to have you back for a whole show just on like the arbitrary holes in the law that leave women very vulnerable. But I think we'll wrap up there for now. Reb, where can people find more of you? You can find more of me at Reb Maisel, R-E-B-M-A-S-E-L, on TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter. Um, message me, comment, DM. I love law students. I love lawyers. And I love anyone yeah. who absolutely knows nothing about the law because I need more of that in my life too. So okay, perfect. I love Thank lawyers. You I love lawyers is not a sentence you hear like that much. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> and rightfully so. Rightfully I don't so. Say I don't say it in my household very often. I no. don't think I've ever heard anyone say I love lawyers. No. And I, I'm like, I would never... I would never date a lawyer. That's a rule of mine. So, oh, okay. No. Well, oh, no. I'm engaged to one. He's not too bad, though. He's not okay, too bad. Okay. So, lawyers don't slide into the DMs for that purpose. Yes. Only for unless, advice. Only right. for advice, not for solicitation. Unless you're the exception to the rule and you're 6'5. Yeah. Okay. Precisely. Five. That's a prerequisite. Or the next, or the or a future Supreme Court justice, maybe. Period. Period. <laughs> Those three. Okay. Until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. And this is the Betches Up Podcast. Bye. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to suppod at Betches.com. Betches.